Welcome to We Fish ASA, the best darn fishing show on the radio or the internet in the entire USA. I'm Steve Surley, my partner's Dave Kranz, and We Fish ASA is always pleased to offer you conversation with the most interesting, the most informative, the most entertaining, as well as some of the biggest names in the world of fishing. We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association, particularly St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Calcutta, makers of a lot of products that fit your fishing lifestyle and passion, and Daiwa. We've got your bass covered. Boy, they sure do. Daiwa Reels. We Fish ASA presents a new episode of our one-hour podcast each and every week. Available 24-7 wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to check out our website. You can listen to the podcast there. You can write to us there. WeFishASA.com WeFishASA is put together by our executive producer, the one and only Brad Nearman. He's with Berserk Productions down in Land O' Lakes, Florida. Hey there, Brad. Uh, today's show features Dave Kranz talking to Dan Johnston from St. Croix about new baits versus old baits. Interesting topic. Very, very good. Then Dave's going to talk to uh, a friend of ours, Jason Randall. He's an excellent outdoorsman and a true expert on the world of fly fishing. If you say you don't fly fishing, don't say that again until you're done listening to Jason Randall. Man, this guy will make you want to pick up a fly rod and hit the water with something new. This guy knows what he's talking about. He is great. I visit with Drew Benton. He's from the uh, Florida Panhandle. He just won a big event on Lake Murray. He's pre-fishing the Bassmaster Elite event on Santee Cooper in South Carolina right now. Drew Benton coming up, but first, Dan Johnston and Dave Kranz. Take it away, David. As Steve said, I am Dave Kranz. This is the We Fish ASA podcast, and this segment is brought to you by St. Croix, the best rods on earth, and we welcome back Dan Johnston. How you doing, Dan? Doing great, Dave. Thanks. Oh, that's good. You know, uh, today's topic... Uh, Old baits versus new baits. I, I've been doing some uh, things on the YouTube channel, and sometimes I'll do a throwback bait, uh, uh, old standby that still works today as good as it did before. And a lot of people are like, thanks for reminding me of that. And I thought, you know what? Our listeners may appreciate us talking about some of the things that we threw decades ago. Yeah, it, and I tell you, they still work. <laughs> some, of the, some of the things I'll do is I might put, you know, the new hook down hook technology into some of those old baits really without exception um but man i mean it's funny because these new trends and crazes start and fish bite the fire out of them and then highly pressured situation they kind of back off it and man if you go dig in your box from 25 years ago and pull something out they seem to have either forgotten what it was or <laughs> they start all over again. I can, and, man, we could name so many. I mean, the man's jelly worm still catches them. The Arbogast jitterbug catches them. The, you know, two of the, two of the, well, three of the baits that I still throw to this day all the time are the old Storm Wigglewarts. The old original Killer B1 Balsa B is still just the juice. And then you've got the, uh, um, Old, old, old Smithwick rogues, uh, in my view, are as good or better than the new ones. Um, so, but again, you know, you get something in your box for that long, you know, put the, the brand new hooks on them for sure. Uh, but boy, they still catch them, Dave. There, there's no doubt. Um, it's still, they'll always be mainstays. 
Yeah, just look at uh, on these marketplaces where they're selling these old baits. These guys aren't buying them to collect them. They're buying them to throw them and, and use in tournaments and use for fun weekends because, like you said, the old warts, those, those still work great. And if you can find them that are in good shape. But as you said, I agree. The hook technology has done nothing but get much better. And so swap out those hooks. And sometimes you might want to put something with a feather on it, like the old rogues, like the new ones. A lot of them come with those uh, uh, different different baits, uh, come with uh, feathers or tinsel on the tail. And certainly the paint jobs are much better than they ever were. But there is something to be said for a bait that just looks natural. Well, I don't, I'm not going to say always, but a lot of times I'm not falling for the perfect paint job. I, you know, you look at a, look at a shad in the water or a crayfish and, you know, they're not Picassos. No. And, uh, you know, it's like it, another bait, like the old rebel pop bar. There was something around the something about that mouth. that was a little duller. Um, the, the, there was a run of them for years and years that got really sharp and they pop, they absolutely 100% popped different. And to this day, I throw a lot of the old ones and that used to come with a little tiny bucktail feather and those obviously have degraded down to nothing. So I'll either replace that with a bucktail or I'll put actually a, a little tiny chicken feather on it. I do a lot of fly tying. So it's a bunch of different feathers you can put on them. But the point is that the fishability of it, it's not just the look of it. And some of the most, the, oh, how about the old bomber model A? how that used to fish and yeah. some of those some of some of the ones that I still have to this day they're so beat up and scarred up and chipped up that they don't look that great but why do they still eat it so good it was something about the cadence the way that thing ran it was just something a little different um, than the new production and not to say the new production ones don't catch them because I have a lot more of those than any of the old ones and probably throw them a lot more than the old ones but there'll always be a place um, for those, uh, I tell you, to give up a little secret here, and some of listeners may have heard of this bait and some may not have, on the bass side is a bait called a zipper worm. And Google that one. And if you can find any of those on eBay, that thing still really catches them. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, so, so there's, there's, a, there's a, lot of, a lot of old baits like that. And really, it's across all species. It's not just bass. It's some of the old, old things uh, certainly still catch them really good. And it's fun to go back and... You know, kind of do like a circa experiment and say, I wonder if they'll bite that thing. You throw it out there and they knock your arm off. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is fun. It is good. Funny that you said the, the uh, pop R because they uh, Rebel actually is producing. It's a P71. It's a little larger, like the old style one. It's got the same longer, you know, we used to sand the inside of the lips down to get that bloop, bloop, you know, and it, and it was a... a different bait and it comes with a uh, feathered tail and they're they're remaking that and they say they have uh, duplicated that mold i i recently got some in my store and i'm going to try them and see if they are the same because like you i'm i'm never giving up my old ones because i replaced the hooks and boy they they keep working but i i'm interested to try these new ones but it's funny that you said that but we're seeing that with some other baits too where they remake them and they never quite get them the same, um, but they're, they're, there's something to be said for the new baits also, though. Well, and there's some that never change. Look at the Lunker Lure buzz bait. That thing's been the same since I was in high school. It still catches the fire out of them. They haven't done anything to that thing. Yeah. You know, and there's a lot of baits that fall in that category. Uh, but I, And I, I think that what people need to just play with is, you know, if you find a lure category, really more specific than that, if you find an actual lure brand and style, like, like the pop R, 
try to find somebody that has an old one and just go throw it compared to the new one. I'm not saying it's necessarily better, but I'm absolutely saying it is different. The way it pops, the sound it makes in the water, real good ones used to leave that little bubble, you know, and they could just give that right little pop with very little rod action. And, um, you know, the angle in the water, the way it sat and just, you know, it, whether they stumbled on that thing years back or what, maybe the fish weren't as educated, I don't know. But boy, to this day, you know, they still bite it. The, you know, and you could also really segue this into line, too. I mean, how, how long has Trailing XL been out? And yeah. it's still to this day, one of the most friendly lines on all reels, whether you're putting it on a closed space for a kid or you're throwing a topwater for a tournament angler as a leader. It's just good stuff. You know, it's limp. It ties every knot in the planet. It's got the perfect stretch rate. It's caught them for, you know, decades and decades. Then you have the other side of brand new advancements, especially with fused and braided uh, polyethylenes that are just unreal on how far those have come compared to, you know, now compared to the old original spider wire. Yeah, and that's interesting you bring that up because do these manufacturers test these lures with the new lines? Is that why they're, these baits are different because of the, the no-stretch lines or the florals or the, you know, the, the braids um, uh, or the fused lines? It, that could be the whole reason why maybe it's not meant to, to be thrown on, on mono or maybe it's, who, who knows? There, there, there's probably a million different different uh, angles on design that, that you come up with, but that, that'd be a good experiment to take some of the newer baits and throw them on all different lines and see how they really react. Well, I think to back up that point you're making, there's a reason why you find these old baits online for as much as they are. To your point, some people might be buying for the, to collect them, but most of us are buying them to throw them. And these are baits that have been around a long, long time. The old storm wiggle warts, the old pop bars, um, old some of the old rogues. Um, you know, just they they're time tested and they catch them. And there's no better judge and jury for an angler that. You throw it out there 50 times, how many bites do you get on it compared to something else you're going to throw 50 times? And the one that skews that graph, you're going to spend money on it, period. And that that's why they're, they are expensive as they are online, you know? Um, it's not just looks or uh, legacy or heritage or their grandpa threw it. That could be part of it, but they just they just catch them. So it's, it's good. It's a good topic because it's worth, you know, researching some of those baits and trying to find some, they're still really all over the place. You might pay a little bit for them, but uh, you can find them. And then when you throw them on today's technology, it really kind of makes it cool because it brings it to the new age. But you're all, you know, it's kind of like having somebody has a collector car and a 57 Chevy. And once they get it out, they put it to the floor and the thing will still go like crazy. You know, it, it'll, it'll still, they still perform really well, but there's a lot of history to it, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Any, any, uh, newer baits uh, this year that really have caught your eye at all? Anything that you say that looks like it's something I want to try? There's so much, Dave, out there right now. There were some new custom colors in Mega Bass 110 that came out. I had to buy all four of them at the Bassmaster Classic. Every one of them looked amazing. One of them called Neon Perch. I about did a backflip on because it'll catch my walleye and crappie. Mm-hmm. Real kind of a dark day, clear water color. And then Yamamoto has a bait, Dave. You just did something on your YouTube channel, and I can never remember the dang name, but it's called a Yamamama something. Yamatuniki. 
There you go. But that bait, I, I remember uh, looking at that with Trey McKinney in our booth, and we were both kind of looking at each other and looking at it and looking at each other and looking at it. And we're thinking, man, there's a lot you can do with it. I think you can throw it into a jungle and not hang it up, but it's soft enough where the hook will get through it. It's got a great size, great profile. It's Yamamoto, so it's probably going to be pretty darn good. You know, and there's just a lot of things out there that uh, – we're seeing, and it's one advantage being in this on the side of this, going to uh, especially the Bassmaster Classic, and then going to ICAST. You see all these new baits come out, but those are just two right off the top of my head. And there's a pile of them. One thing that's really popular too, especially when you get in the southeast, is all the custom painting that goes on. I've got to know a couple of them pretty well, and you know, painting some baits for me and things that you really want for local areas that just are not on the market. And it's really cool. There's a lot of that. It's kind of cultish, and you get down to that part of the country and it's just it's amazing how not only how popular it is down there but how well they work yeah, absolutely and always great information from a dan johnston and always good conversation and uh, i i have fun doing this dan i i think you do too and uh thanks again for being on and look forward to talking to you next week yeah thanks so much dave Oh, no problem. That was Dan Johnson. I am Dave Kranz, and this segment was brought to you by St. Croix, the best rods on earth. The We Fish ASA podcast will be right back. Rule your water. Rule it with a St. Croix rod. Whether you take to the lake, wade the rivers, or cast from shore, St. Croix provides responsive performance, ensuring your success below every surface. With a St. Croix rod in hand, you're a part of a celebrated tradition that has spanned 70 years. Touch, power, and control are right at your fingertips and extend to you the finest fishing experience on the planet. St. Croix, the best rods on earth. The outdoors is more than just a profession for us here at Big Rock Sports. As avid anglers, hunters, and outdoor enthusiasts, it's our passion. So advocating on behalf of the outdoor sporting goods industry is a top priority for us. Big Rock Sports is proud to serve as the voice and advocate of outdoor sporting goods retailers across the nation. Big Rock Sports works tirelessly to protect our fisheries and anglers' rights. Big Rock Sports, we are here for you. I'm professional angler Kevin Van Dam, and people always ask me, what's the best and easiest way to catch fish? Well, that's simple. Keep our waterways clean and free of litter. You know, tossing your worn out lures in the lake is not a winning move. Pitch them in the trash. Do your part and join me. Visit KeepAmericaFishing.org and pledge to pitch it. Welcome back to the We Fish ASA podcast. I am Dave Kranz and this segment is brought to you by Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. I always like to say that all the guests I have on this segment have a passion for the outdoors. My next guest certainly does. I have known him for over three decades. He is Jason Randall. He is an author, an educator, national advisor for uh, Temple Fork Outfitters. Welcome to the program, Jason. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, it's been quite a while since we spoke on the program. It has, and uh, I think the first time you were on, you only had a couple of books. Now you got, what, four? <laughs> I've, been busy. I've been busy. Yeah, it's it's four now, and, and uh, boy, there's just more and more that you learn that you love to share with other anglers. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll give this later, too, but if people are interested in getting your books, where can they find those? 
Well, they're, they're all four are sold on Amazon. Um, you can reach me also um, at my email address. It's uh, jrandallangler at gmail.com. My website is uh, jrflyfishing.com. And probably the thing I check the most would just be, uh, you know, I just do a daily browse on Instagram and Facebook, and that's at Jason Randall Fly Fishing on Instagram. And I can always get somebody connected um, to any resource they might need. Excellent. Excellent. So, you know, we were talking off the air before uh, we went on here and uh, how similar some of the fly fishing is to traditional fishing for bass and how effective it can be. You bet. I, there are so many times uh, when I'm out bass fishing, uh, and we like to fish. I like, I'll fish spinning gear and, and wacky worms and, and drop shots and stuff like that as well. I love fish. I just love catching fish. But there's so many times when we're out with a spinning rod and I wish I had a fly rod. Uh, there I, might be some kind of a small uh, tube jig or some kind of a, uh, an insect hatch. A lot of people don't appreciate how often trout will eat insects when they're available. I mean, uh, bass will. Yeah, absolutely, and and uh, and that doesn't have to be on a stream either for just smallmouth. You're talking ponds or lakes, you know, up for largemouth even. That's right, especially in mid mid June when those big bugs come off, and that's like a that's like a full meal for a bass. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, so, how did you get interested in fishing? I would, let's let's go back a, a little bit. What what uh, was it? First fly, or was fly afterwards? Fly was afterwards. I learned uh, fishing from my dad. Um, I think so many of us do. Uh, we had a, a, just a passionate uh, father and brother who loved to fish, and we began fishing for bass and crappie and trips to the Boundary Waters in Canada for northern pike and smallmouth. And um, I grew up kind of fishing that way. And I thought, uh, as I wanted to to get more involved in the in the sport, I I fished in small uh, tournaments on Lake Geneva and some of the smaller regional stuff. And then it was afterwards, probably um, 20 years later, I was uh, I was an adult. I was in my 30s probably at that point. And I just had a couple people introduce me to fly fishing. It's always good to have a mentor, someone that can introduce you to the sport and help you along, especially at the beginning. And it just it just caught my passion. And it's it's uh, it's been there ever since. Excellent. And then you uh, decided to share some of the knowledge as you gained it over the years and, and uh, write your books. And, and, uh, and you also go on the road and promote those at, at uh, fly shows across the country. And uh, how, how much fun are those? Those are a blast. I mean, anytime you can get together with other people and talk about some common passion that you share. Um, you know that too, because you're always on the show circuit and, and, uh, I know you do a lot of speaking engagements and it's just, it's just fun to share knowledge with other people that, uh, are just as passionate about it as you are. And, and, um, you know, the fly fishing shows are, are just a great forum. It's, it's a great place to go to learn. I like to go and learn too. Um, and all of the, all of the major outfitters are there. The manufacturers reps are there and, and it's just a great place to network. Yes, absolutely. And uh, so if somebody wants to get started in fly fishing and they don't have access to any trout streams or anything like that, we're, we're kind of limited here in the, in the Midwest, but across the country, obviously, east and west, it's phenomenal. But, but locally, if they just want to uh, 
fish for bluegills and and bass on a farm pond, they can still do that, right? You bet, you bet. I like throwing little poppers and and uh, just small little jigs and and even plastics. I was in your shop a couple of weeks ago just buying some plastics that I'll put on a small jig and we'll catch all kinds of warm water species. And I spent the weekend fishing with uh, a, a fisherman that's relatively new to fly fishing johnny clemmy from from central indiana and i had fished down there with him on a smallmouth river and it was just it was magnificent and they were taking clouser minnows and and that was the fly fishing uh, that was really working the best there and his first trout experience was just last weekend and there there is some pretty good trout fishing just a few hours from here in southwest wisconsin and it begins just west of, of madison and that's the driftless streams of uh, of uh, kind of the central midwest and it's phenomenal trout fishing we spent we spent three or four days up there uh catching trout and we got brook trout we caught brown trout and just had a marvelous time yeah and for people that are in michigan minnesota obviously wisconsin illinois iowa that's not a very far way to go even some of the eastern indiana people they can get up there and go to those places and and have a good time and i think there's uh, quite a bit of information about the trout fishing there on the uh dnr wisconsin dnr website and uh, not too hard to find that's right. I think Wisconsin DNR has just done a magnificent job and, and it's been a model, I think, for so many other states in the fact that they have, they've arranged so much public access. Uh, there's miles and miles and miles of, uh, of hundreds of miles, literally, of public access streams, um, you know, within an hour radius of, of that area. And it's not that far. You're right from here. For us, it's a, you can be fishing on a good trout stream in about three hours. Yeah. And that's not bad. No, not bad at all. I have some customers that come into my, my retail establishment here and they go up, they turkey hunt in the morning and they trout fish in the afternoon. And they just have a blast and um, just talk so highly of it. I have not got up there myself, unfortunately. I did fish some trout uh, in India or uh, Iowa years ago in northeastern Iowa, and they had a stocking program there where it seemed like every week they would release, you know, rainbows or browns, whatever they had at the hatchery, and and that was fun. I did that, but that's been oh I don't know fifteen twenty years ago since I've been able to do that. Uh, but yeah, there there's opportunities to to go out there and do that, and like you said, the smallmouth fisheries. There's so many streams in this country that have smallmouth. Absolutely. And we can fix that little problem you mentioned about uh, not having uh, a chance to trout fish uh, in the last little bit here because we could get you back up there and, and put you on some pretty good trout. But even in in this part of uh, the Midwest, the lower part of the Midwest, there's some great, great uh, pan fishing opportunities. Every farm pond could be could be fly fished, and uh, you I've caught uh, everything from catfish to you know to uh, bluegill, large and smallmouth bass, and it's just great. It's just another it's another tool in the in the toolbox for 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 most anglers i think absolutely so national advisor for temple fork outfitters tell us a little bit about that what do you do for them well it's been fun i've been with them uh probably around six or seven years maybe and i was uh able to join the the uh, 
rod advisory team and the rod design team and i'm now beginning to work on uh on a third rod for them uh, the first two have been uh, primarily nymphing rods a little bit longer um, the first one was a convertible rod and and i just love temple fork or tfo um, as they're also called in the industry they are so willing um to uh, to be innovative and, and be creative and challenge um, themselves as rod manufacturers and the cool thing about it is is that um, these are designed by fishermen not necessarily just somebody um sitting at a desk but um and they're prototyped and tested and uh, the first rod that was a drift rod we went through two years of prototype before we really got it to the point where we were ready to, to get it out there and we knew it was going to perform. We knew there weren't going to be issues with it and the guy that bought it would be happy with it. Yeah. And, and you say two years and, and uh, I know we've talked to other people in uh, designing products in the, in the country for whether it's reels or rods and two years is not a long time. It can even be longer. And I think people are surprised by the research and development that go into even a fishing product. That's true. I, I think, the guy that goes into the to the uh, bait and tackle store or the fly shop, they, they really don't always appreciate uh, the effort that it's taken to get those products on the shelf. And I, I blessed to work with uh, another company, Scientific Anglers, and they have the same philosophy, um, those lines and leaders and tippet, all that material is extensively tested and, and I, you know, uh, they know that those products are going to perform and they're always pushing to try to get superior products in the hands of fishermen. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's all of us having a passion for what we're doing. And we definitely uh, do have that passion. And I do have to get out there on a trout stream sometime soon and, and do that again, because I, I uh, did enjoy it when I did it and uh, definitely enjoyed having you on the podcast again. And I'm sure it won't be the last time, Jason. Hey, Dave, thanks. It's great catching up with you and, and visiting and talking about fly fishing or fishing in general. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. It is. Thanks for being on. That was Jason Randall, author and educator. I am Dave Kranz. This is the We Fish ASA podcast, and this segment was brought to you by Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel. For those with a passion for the outdoors, we will be right back. The outdoors is more than just a profession for us here at Big Rock Sports. As avid anglers, hunters, and outdoor enthusiasts, it's our passion. So advocating on behalf of the outdoor sporting goods industry is a top priority for us. Big Rock Sports is proud to serve as the voice and advocate of outdoor sporting goods retailers across the nation. Big Rock Sports works tirelessly to protect our fisheries and anglers' rights. Big Rock Sports, we are here for you. Calcutta Outdoors, from bluegill to bluefin, Calcutta Outdoors has the innovative outdoor recreational brands that consumers are looking for. We offer a wide range of trusted products, from fishing rods, combos, and tackle to coolers, drinkware, outdoor apparel, and marine accessories. Calcutta Outdoors. Bass anglers have heard it all when it comes to manufacturers having the best casting reel. Well, Daiwa can back it up with the Tatula SV. The Tatula SV has three key features that make it the most versatile casting reel on the market today. The SV spool is a lightweight aluminum spool allowing for long control light lure casting. 
MAG4Z gives you the option to set a precise casting range no matter what lure or wind situation. The Daiwa T-Wing system reduces line angle and friction when casting. Distance, control, and finesse like no other reel on the market. Tatula, the ultimate finesse long cast system designed by Daiwa. Welcome back to We Fish ASA. I'm Steve Sarley. My partner Dave Kranz is not here. We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association. Please help to ensure the future of fishing by visiting keepamericafishing.org. And you know, if you're an industry professional of any kind at all, please consider joining the American Sport Fishing Association by visiting asafishing.org. Tournament season is going on hot and heavy. There's a lot of great fish being caught by a lot of great fishermen. The latest was a big elite event down at Lake Murray in South Carolina. It was won by professional Drew Benton in Grand Manor. Please welcome Drew Benton. Hey, Drew, how you doing? Hey, pretty good. Just out here at the, the next stop. They got us running fast and furious this time of year, so we... We had no downtime. We hopped right over here to Santee Cooper, and uh, today's day one of practice. Have you fished Santee Cooper before? Uh, yeah, we, we came here last year, um, a little bit earlier in the year. Uh, it was a great event then, and um, looking forward to it. Will Santee Cooper fish like Lake Murray at all? Uh, you'll, you'll see some guys side fish, I believe, still, um, but it's not a herring lake. Lake Murray's a herring lake. Um, you won't see all the schooling activity and, and guys, you know, running a bunch of points and, and things like that. That that won't be the case. It'll be a lot of cypress tree fishing, grass, lily pads, you know, four foot of water or less type deal. Fishing like you're a little bit more used to from home, right? That's right. Yeah, being from Florida, it's, uh, this lake sets up really good for me and, and the way I like to fish, that's for sure. Well, you're not originally from Florida. Where'd you come from? Yeah, I'm originally from Florida. Oh, you um, are? Okay. Born and raised, and I I, uh, I moved to Blakely, Georgia a couple of years ago. Uh, well, I guess back in 2018, and uh, I actually moved back to Panama City. I still have my farm there in Georgia, but uh, I moved back to Panama City last year. Panama City is is a great area, and uh, I know it's a it's a great vacation spot. It's got uh, a little bit milder weather than uh, you know people who think if you're going to Florida, you're going to Disney World, or, or you're not going. Uh, it's a little brutal temperature wise. You you get you get more moderate temperatures in in the Panhandle, right? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, we still have you know hundred degree days in the summertime, but we you know. Typically, we have maybe eight or ten, you know, days a year that may be below freezing. So, no snow, nothing like that, like you guys have up north. Just uh, pretty mild and uh, and mediocre weather. Uh, today we're recording this on April twenty fourth, just two days ago, April twenty second. We were still getting snow, and it was sixty degrees a couple days prior, and now we're getting snow. This is not fair, man. I'll tell you, it's uh, Mother Nature's got a heck of a sense of humor. That's right, yeah. Man. Especially when you get around fishing season, it it <laughs> it tends to try to throw a kink in things. 
Yeah, you know, you you want to be out. Uh, you want to get out. You'd like the weather to be nice for personal reasons. But fishing-wise, I'm watching, waiting every day for the water to warm up, picking up a couple degrees, picking up a couple degrees. Oh, yeah, it's time to go. Then all of a sudden, water's dropping 10 degrees. It's dropping 20 degrees air temperature. It's time to stay home. What, what, what do you do when you face a situation like that where the weather turns foul on you? Well, to be honest with you, I don't I don't have to face that. Usually we start, they have a starting in, in Florida and, uh, you know, where it's, you know, just right, 70, 75 degrees. And then as the, you know, the year goes on, we start to work our way north. But I have, you know, faced those tournaments where we have those cold fronts and you just kind of got to grind it out. It's, it's something that... Uh, it's it's definitely not easy, but you, you got to keep your head in it and uh, try to dress warm and stay comfortable because the fish will still bite. You just got to figure out whether you got to slow down or make them react. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, you know, Drew. It's it's certainly interesting uh, the the challenges you have to face, uh, and I certainly wouldn't want to be the scheduler just for grins. I might reverse it and start you off on those uh, smallmouth lakes up north and finish. In the hundred degree temperature down south, boy, you guys would go absolutely crazy. Uh, would would you all walk out, or could you actually handle something like that? Well, I think if you did that, you'd have to provide some ice augers, because <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure most of the places that we fish, when we start our season, if we started up north, they'd still be hard. Instead, instead of uh, instead of forward facing sonar, which is the question of the day from everybody that wants to interview you. Uh, all I would want to talk about is your uh, cold weather gear. Whose jackets are you wearing? What are you wearing for bibs? And- uh, I'm I'm a hook guy. I uh, I've been with Hook for a few years now, and um, and I'm all hook all the way. Not not a not a bad way to do it. You you've been doing this for seven years. Well, let's see. Um, I started on the FLW tour in 2013. Okay, um, ten years and I ago. I three three seasons over there and uh i guess this will be my 11th season full-time fishing so you, you've made about a million dollars so far which is awfully darn good money for such a short length of time that you have put in when in your life did it dawn on you that a million dollars could be made casting a lure <laughs> i mean you know it, it's really a dream come true i, I never i never really thought it would you know turn into this you know i wanted it to um but to to be able to do this full time and and to have provided for my family made a decent living at it for you know 10 years now is uh is truly a blessing i i think it's i think it's marvelous and uh i get uh i get aggravated and amazed by people that don't give you credit i've got a brother-in-law that'll say wait a minute this guy caught a, made a hundred thousand dollars for catching a fish. Yeah, and there's guys getting paid millions of dollars for hitting a baseball. I don't think these fishing guys get paid enough money. What do you think about you, that? You know that that is you you kind of hit the nail on the head. I uh, I feel like our industry is kind of upside down right now. I feel like it's it's grown. You know, with high school fishing, college fishing. And everything, the industry itself has gotten bigger, and we've kind of stayed the same. Uh, I think we fish for about the same amount of money, purse-wise, that they did in the 90s. 
which is, you know, honestly is a little bit embarrassing. You know, you look at golf um, and how golf has progressed and, you know, they have a lot more non-endemic, bigger non-endemic sponsors. Um, so they've got the money behind it and we don't, uh, you know, we're basically a bunch of guys fishing for our own money. And, uh, you know, it, it, I wish at some point that um, we could fish for more money. You know, um, it, it, we started out good in the 80s and 90s and it went up in the 2000s and, you know, the Forest Wood Cup at one time was paying a million dollars to win. Yeah. The Bassmaster Classic was paying $500,000 to win. Yeah. And now we're back to 300000 So, you know, I, I really wish I had an answer for that. Why, uh, you know, why we don't um, have as much money involved. But uh, I, I hope to one day, you know, see the, the sport grow into something similar to golf, you know, where guys in our, our Bassmaster Classic are fishing for you know, at least a million or more dollars. And that would be uh, something special. And it would get a lot more eyes looking at what we're doing. I, I, agree, I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. And, you know, when you talk about non-endemic sponsors, I do understand that. And, uh, you know, I, I watch the fishing shows on TV and I see all of the commercials that are for fishing gear, fishing equipment, and that's wonderful. But you don't see much of anything that is not endemic. And I look at that and I go, what's the matter here? Uh, fishermen wear underwear. Fishermen use deodorant. Fishermen shave with razors. Where are all those commercials? And, and they'll say, well, you know, fishing isn't a big enough sport for these companies well, to invest in that. Well, you, you know what, Drew? You know what, Drew Ben? There's an awful, there's more people that fish than golf. There's more people that fish than play tennis. They should be promoted, and the fishing ban is very, very adamantly uh, in favor of the people that support the sport. If they put a a deodorant ad on a fishing tournament uh, show, whether online or you know on TV or whatever, fishermen would stick with that. That'd be the deodorant that people would use. Figure it out, advertisers support this sport. Yep, that's, you're exactly right. Excellent. No, I, I don't. I don't understand a lot of that, and and I definitely think uh, uh, that it should be uh, it should be uh, at least double what you're making right now. And I don't want to get anybody mad at me, but I think a lot of people are thinking the same way. But that's enough. We'll we'll, we'll talk about the good things. The good things that happen. Uh, t- tell me about your family. How long you've been married? How many kids do you have? So, uh, from a previous marriage, uh, both me and my wife each had two kids. I had two boys. She had a, a son and a daughter. And we got married um, a little over a year ago. And we have one ourselves together. Um, he's five months old, and his name's Bo. And uh, everything's going good. Congratulations. You said you, you own a farm in Georgia? What, what do you, yes. What, what do you farm? Uh, well... <laughs> It's a recreational farm. I, okay. you know, we we plant corn on it, but it's for deer. <laughs> I'm a big time uh, whitetail hunter, and and uh, that that's just really what I'm passionate about. What I enjoy doing. So um, everything up there kind of. People don't realize that my partner Dave will say, "Oh, it's got to be tough. Uh, it's got to be tough booking guests because uh, you're in the middle of tournament season. You know, with, with between tournaments and." Uh, and practice, uh, it, it gets a little rough uh, trying to sneak into your guys' schedule. 
but it's much, much harder in the fall because if you're not fishing, you guys are up on a tree. Oh, absolutely. That's uh, that's kind of how we recharge our batteries, you know, for the season. And and uh, that, that's what really kind of I live for, honestly. If there was a way I could make a living hunting, I would probably do that instead of fish just because I enjoy it so much. And there's so much you can do, you know, year-round with it. Is there a similarity at all between hunting and fishing? I'm talking about the mindset because you're actually you are hunting fish uh, like you're hunting deer or whatever game or bird you would be after. Uh, are there any shared qualities of hunting and fishing that you can think of? Yeah, I think so, especially uh, sight fishing. You know, um, I, I think you you have to set up on a fish and uh, kind of figure out what makes that fish tick. And uh, that's kind of the same as you would a, a mature deer sometimes. You got to, you know, figure out his pattern, figure out, you know, w- what he's doing and, and set up according, accordingly to uh, to that. And uh, it's the same way with a, a, a big bed fish, you know. Uh, I'll have to set up and use some cover to my advantage and, uh, and try to pull him. Excellent. Very, very good. Good answer. Let me take a quick break. Uh, Let our sponsors have a word. We'll talk to you about your sponsors when we come back. Folks, we are on with Mr. Drew Benton. Just won the big Bassmaster Elite Series event at Lake Murray. He's on the water right now on Santee Cooper practicing for the next event. Uh, maybe Maybe I'll catch a fish while we're talking to him. But we'll be right back with more Drew Benton right after this. For most anglers, the unexpected is expected. But what you can do is take matters into the seat of your, well, shorts. Meet Aftco's Overboard Shorts, winner of the iCast Best in Category for Technical Clothing. Built with a 100% submersible pocket that keeps the unexpected dry dock for the other guy. Overboard keeps the good times rolling and your valuables safe for the next adventure. Overboard Shorts from Aftco. Learn more at aftco.com slash overboard. Bass anglers have heard it all when it comes to manufacturers having the best casting reel. Well, Daiwa can back it up with the Tatula SV. The Tatula SV has three key features that make it the most versatile casting reel on the market today. The SV spool is a lightweight aluminum spool allowing for long control light lure casting. MAG4Z gives you the option to set a precise casting range no matter what lure or wind situation. The Daiwa T-Wing system reduces line angle and friction when casting. Distance, control, and finesse like no other reel on the market. Tatula, the ultimate finesse long cast system designed by Daiwa. The St. Croix story has evolved over 70 years. With gritty determination, St. Croix built the most advanced fishing rod facility in the world. And with it, a world-class brand that has earned the respect and admiration of anglers around the planet. We will continue to challenge ourselves, our employees, and our partners to be the best every day. We're proud to celebrate 70 years of passion and commitment to making the best rods on earth, St. Croix. Welcome back to We Fish ASA. Don't forget that We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association. I am Steve Sarley, and I am introducing you to Mr. Drew Benton. Hey, welcome back, Drew. Hey, Steve, how are you? Doing good. Talking about sight fishing, uh, 
boy, there's a subject that can cause a lot of arguments, whether it's in a bar or on social media. There's people that love it. There's people that hate it. Uh, I, I think it's it's a phenomenal way to fish, and it takes a whole different set of skills to do that. Uh, why do you like sight fishing so much? Well, for one, the, the region that I'm from, they spawn about three to four months out of the year, and you have to be competitive, or in order to be competitive, you have to be good at it. And uh, that's the reason why, you know, I kind of took to it so so well and, and enjoy it so much is because, you know, it's it's kind of the deal around the house. And and, and like I said earlier, it's uh, there's a lot more to it than just finding um, finding a fish and, and throwing your bait in there and catching it. You know, you've got to figure out what mood he's in, you know, figure out, uh, you know, what part of the bed it, it likes, you know, what kind of bait you got. There's a lot more that goes into it than people think. Um, yeah, anybody can go and, and catch one that's, you know, easy to catch on bed that's just locked down and ready to go. Yeah. But catching those ones that are more difficult and putting that puzzle together is kind of, it's intriguing to me. Uh, You you approach a spot, you see the bed, uh, you see a fish on that bed, you're going to work this. How do you work a bed? Do you start out at a distance and then make the next cast closer and the next cast closer, or do you go for the gusto right away? No, I, I put the bait right in there right away, and 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 you can watch that fish, and uh, and really tell by its demeanor and how it acts, and um, you know how fast it spins or moving, and and it, it'll tell you um, how aggressive he's going to be, or or how he's how much he's going to tolerate, you know you, you know how close your boat is, you know if he's if he won't get in there, I might have to back up where I can't see the fish physically and blind cast to that fish, you know, to, to let him get comfortable enough to get up there and actually, you know, bite the bait. So there's a lot, um, a lot of, you know, little tricks and, and things that I picked up over the years that, uh, that definitely are critical. What's the single most important piece of equipment that you have on your boat that helps specifically for sight fishing? Uh, that would have to be the power poles. Um, okay. I have, two eight foot power poles and and being able to you know position the boat again the setup is, is so key and uh without those you couldn't do what i do consistently interesting what, what about eyewear eyewear is you know that that's a, a very good one too I, i'm a blue pole optics um they build you know the best rifle scopes in the business and in the industry and uh they use that same lens technology in their glasses that that is interesting. I, I find that to be uh, absolutely amazing. Uh, you know, I always thought uh, sunglasses were sunglasses, and uh, I never bought an expensive pair because I, I, I said right away, I guarantee within thirty days I'll be sitting at it in the car, and that money's out the window. I, I finally invested in a good pair, and man, it makes a world of difference. And learning more and more about this, I've got a friend who's a good sight fisherman, and. Uh, he he said, uh, I said, what should I, you know, what should I get? He says, well, you need this, this, and that. I said, wait, wait, I'm not, you know, spending as much on uh, sunglasses as I'm doing on on my rods and reels. He says, well, if you're going out with just one pair of sunglasses, you're shorting yourself because water is a different color everywhere you go, and you, you need to match the water you're fishing. Is that true? 
to an extent, yeah, I uh, I find that the, the copper lens is probably the best all around. But on, you know, super sunny days and real clear water, I like to go to maybe a green mirror or a blue mirror. And it's a and that's a, a smoke lens or an amber lens on the inside. And what it does is when you switch back and forth, it allows your eyes to adjust. And you'll actually see more clear because your eyes are, are, are readjusting to a shade that you're looking through. Uh-huh. So typically throughout the day, you'll see me switch pairs of sunglasses once or twice just to freshen my eyes up a little bit. Makes sense. Makes sense. That's a very good answer. Very good answer. All right, let's talk about this uh, Lake Murray thing. You couldn't have written an ending to a tournament as exciting as what you had here. Boy, oh boy, was that uh, a surprise, the way this tournament transpired? Uh, it was a little bit. I uh, Anytime you can, get, you can sight fish all the way through a four-day event, it's something special because normally... Um, or in the past, you never hear of tournaments being won completely sight fishing. Um, and for me, for a guy who loves to fish that way, and you know that's kind of uh, my fastball. I, 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 you know, really enjoy it and and enjoy an event like that. So um, to be able to come out on top and, and that be you know my number one um, pattern was just awesome. You, you, you did well to start, then you faded, you came back exceptionally strong, great bag, great uh, great fish. It, it, was, it was wonderful. And you did doubt yourself during this, right? Uh, a little bit. You know, after, after day three, I kind of felt like I was out of fish and, and I, I was letting it slip away. And when I slid in there in the top ten and – and kind of seeing how close the weights were. I knew I still had a shot. Anybody in that top 10 had a shot. You just had to go out and have a big day, and that's what we set out to do, and that's what we accomplished. Did you do anything wrong leading up to that, or is it just fishing? You know, not everything works out all the time. The best laid plans, yada, yada. Uh, it, it, do, it doesn't work out, and you just got to have at it again. Did, did you make any mistakes on the water? Well, I think fishing is all about adjustments, and even over the course of a uh, four-day event, um, you're going to run into a, a time where you need to make an adjustment. And on day three, we had uh, a lot of wind, some cloud cover. It was hard to see, and I couldn't make the adjustment I needed in the time that I had for day three because – it was so hard to see. It was taking me longer to cover water, longer to evaluate and see what I had in my area still. And I needed to change areas, but I didn't know that at the time on day three. After day three was over, I knew that I needed to change areas and, and you know, kind of expand and figure things out. And that's what I did on day four. And you can see the results. It just yeah. sometimes sometimes you can't make the adjustment in that day because you've got to let that day play out. That makes sense. You did uh, you did some great work with uh, square bills. Why were square bills important in this tournament? Well, number one, the water was so clear down there where the shaft were spawning on those riprap banks that you had to burn a bait to get a bite. You had to not let that fish get a good look at your bait, and a square bill bouncing around, ricocheting off all that that riprap 
was a good choice. I could I could get it parallel to those Rocky banks and points, and, and I could throw it and wind it real fast and, and get that reaction bite. Yeah, I saw you. You not only you know, most people will change size, change color. You switch from one make of square bill to another make, uh, which I found interesting uh, and proof that not all lures are the same. Well, it really, to be honest with you, didn't have anything to do with the make or the action. It was just a clear crankbait. I, you know, I started with a Bagley uh, Pro Sunny Bee. Um, you know, Bagley's a sponsor of mine. They make exceptional balsa baits um, that catch fish better than any hard plastic crankbait out there. But the problem is, or was that day, is that water was so clear, I needed a, a clear translucent bait. Huh. So that fish didn't get a good look at it. The first, you know, the first few fish I caught on the Bagley, um, they they ate it really well. But then as the sun got higher and that, you know, the fish can see better, I started hooking them in the side of the face. And then, the, you know, I hooked one in the back. So then I went to that translucent bait so they couldn't get quite as good of a look at it. And uh, it, 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 was a, it allowed more fish to commit and actually eat the bait. I'm looking at the results. I saw you had some good luck with a big bite baits fighting frog. They are one of our sponsors. They make a, a, a darn good bait. Uh, so I don't mind you giving them a little plug right now. Yeah, uh, that fighting frog, I, I tell you, I've probably made, you know, at least half of that million dollars in earnings probably off of that fighting frog. It's a phenomenal bait if whether you're you're flipping cover, heavy cover, flipping wood, um, or sight fishing. You know, it's a, a bait that has a good kicking action when it falls, and it, it can mimic a, a ton of different forage. It can mimic a crawfish, a bluegill, a shad, just based on whatever color you're throwing. And um, it definitely gets the nod anytime I want some kind of creature plastic. Excellent. Uh, i go back to Bagley for a minute. They've been around for a long time, got, undergone a couple of Changes in ownerships. Uh, I love your boat. You got a great Bagley wrap on there. You don't see a lot of uh, boats displaying the Bagley uh, logo as prominently as you do. But I'll tell you something. I absolutely love the uh, Bagley Bango lure. As a topwater, I just find that to be one of the most effective baits out there. I'm a Bagley fan, and uh, you must be glad you're hooked up with them. Yeah, being, uh, you know, they're originally a Florida company and, uh, you know, the the rivers and lakes around the house that I got my start on, that Bangalore was a staple on everybody's front deck. And, and uh, you know, being the, a bait that I grew up around and a, a, a brand that I grew up around and grew up fishing with, um, to be able to represent them now uh, on the biggest stage in fishing is, is just awesome. I, I uh I've been with them through those uh, leadership changes or, or ownership changes, and um, and everybody's been you know really great to work with, and and they're a great company to represent. I think they're doing as well as they have ever done right now, if not better. Tell them all I said hello, and to keep making great products like they do. Uh, you're on uh, you're on the boat right now. You are pre fishing. Santee Cooper in South Carolina. Uh, this is going to fish a little different. Are you looking forward to this tournament? And how do you tolerate no breaks in between tournament? You go from one to the other, man. You barely get a chance to 
uh, you know, do anything to, to relax. Yeah, I uh, I think it's going to fish pretty good. I, I don't think um, – I think the top weights will probably be a little bit higher than we had at Murray, but the cut weight um, might be a little bit lower. So, you know, at Murray, it took over 17 pounds a day just to make the 50 cut. I don't think you'll necessarily see that here. I think you'll probably see somewhere in the 14 to 15 pound range a day to make that 50 cut. But your top guy, I think, will have, you know, close to 90 or 100 pounds. And that's going to be, um, that's going to be what it takes at Santee. Uh, as far as, you know, back to back, yeah, I fished, uh, now, now eight days straight. Um, some of those days, daylight to dark, the practice days. And, uh, to be honest, today's kind of really been a wash for me. I've, I've been on the phone when you win an event. Uh, you, you kind of got to do these interviews and things and, um, I don't hate it at all. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I'll win every one of them and, and take a day off to do this <laughs> stuff. But it, uh, as far as a practice day and me getting any work done today, it's been, it's been tough. I'll be honest. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you very much for your cooperation. Uh, your schedule is incredibly tough and to take a half an hour out for, me is means a lot to me. I really appreciate that. And I, I hope you do really well in this tournament and the rest of the season. You're still a young guy. You're an up and comer, uh, doing nothing but improving all the time. Folks, Drew Benton is a name to watch out for when you're looking at those uh, elite results. I got a funny feeling you're going to find this guy making the cuts, making the top tens. Watch out, world. Drew Benton is out there. Thanks, man. We'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks for having me. Drew Benton, thank you for being with us. We appreciate it. That wraps up this week's edition of the We Fish ASA podcast, the best art fishing show on the radio or the internet in the entire USA. I'd like to thank today's guest, Dan Johnston. I'd like to thank Jason Randall, Dr. Jason Randall, author extraordinaire and fly fishing expert. Man, he knows his stuff. Another guy that knows his stuff, Drew Benton, talking about sight fishing, an interesting subject. Uh, got some great tips there, great product mentions. Definitely like that guy. You'll see him winning more. He is Drew Benton. I'd like to thank our sponsors, St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Calcutta, makers of a line of products that fit your fishing lifestyle and passion. And Daiwa. They have what you need for every application and at every price point. Plus... They've got your bass covered. Oh, oh boy, Daiwa Reels. Remember that We Fish ASA presents a new episode of our one-hour podcast each and every week. They're available everywhere you get your podcasts, and please visit our website, wefishasa.com. If you like what you hear, please let us know. If there's something you'd like to hear us talk about or someone we ought to have on the show, let us know that too. I'm Steve Sarley. My partner is Dave Kranz. We'll see you next week now. Let's go fishing! I'm professional angler Kevin Van Dam, and people always ask me, what's the best and easiest way to catch fish? Well, that's simple. Keep our waterways clean and free of litter. You know, tossing your worn out lures in the lake is not a winning move. Pitch them in the trash. Do your part and join me. Visit KeepAmericaFishing.org and pledge to pitch it.